Good morning. I start with a question. Are you glad you came to church today? Our reading from the Bible is part of St Paul's letter to the new church at Colossae, a town which is now in Turkey. Uh, Paul has at this time never been there himself, but one of his helpers, Epaphras, had been there and had started a new church, which was full of new Christians. He starts his letter just before the part that we read out by saying he thanks God every time he prays for them. He is glad they are there. He gives thanks for their faith and love and for their eternal destiny. The church, someone has said, is what is left when you take away the building. Now, of course, he should have said who is left. The church is who is left when you take away the building. This building, for example, is very good and serviceable and well-loved and cared for, and a credit to the teams who've looked after it over all the years. And it's probably full of good memories for most of us, even Margaret and me, who've only been here a bit over a year. But when the building is taken away, the church is us who are left. So, my question should be, are you glad you came to meet the church today? I was struck when I started preparing this passage by the fact that St Paul started by saying that he gave thanks for all these different people and thought, do I start my prayers by thanking God for all the different people that I know or uh, relate to in the church? <coughs> and I thought I'd give it a try. And it was most interesting. It was a way into finding uh, and stumbling across other things to pray for those people. But that's a digression from today's passage. The church is full of all kinds of people. They can be young or old. Uh, they can be white, black, yellow, green, any other colour they happen to come. All are the same as far as God sees it, spiritually speaking. And we are the same as those people at Colossae in the first century. Change the clothes, take away the building, and uh, you could be looking today at Paul and the people at Colossae, but you're looking at some church down the road. Now, in our passage today, having spoken about giving thanks to the people in the church at Colossae, Paul goes on to write down what he is asking the living God to do for them. And this is interesting to us today because we could try copying it as an outline or pattern for our own prayers, for our own friends, in the present day. Now, Sir Paul wrote long, rambling sentences, and my English master at school would have made me rewrite it in several shorter ones, but Sir Paul wasn't in his class. So I'm going to take it in four bites. First bite, he begins, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And from this we see straight away that the gift of knowledge and, uh, of his will and understanding and so on is the work of God. That's why he's asking, of course. Paul can't do it himself. Uh, the Colossians can't do it for themselves and neither can I or we. It's something only God can give. Second bite. Like everyone, new Christians have a choice. The point of having God's wisdom is to be able to make better choices in life. 
And what's more, if we are trying to follow him, we want to make choices that will please him. And that's why we need the knowledge of his will. So, which of these things will please him better? List one. Enmity, envy, drunkenness, stealing, hurting, etc. Or this list. Love, joy, kindness, sharing, giving. We hardly need to answer the, uh, the question I've put. St Paul answers it by saying that he wants these people to have wisdom and understanding so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Third point. It's one thing to know the right thing, but another to actually do it. Because the wrong thing can be so tempting. Here, I'm going to show at the 10 o'clock service some pictures of various temptations and their opposites. I shall have to leave this to your imagination. But I, I mentioned the 10 o'clock service because uh, today uh, we are going to be baptising uh, a, new, uh, a new person who's going to, his parents have, her parents have decided to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And this is something that will meet this child head on straight away. There are many temptations that we could face. To choose the first list rather than the second list uh, that I just read out. And we need to remember something that Jesus said about temptations and so on. Indirectly, he says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Following the way of temptation, following the bad things on the first list, results in destruction and misery and a downward trend. Choosing the right things that God's wisdom dictates results in having life and having it to the full. And that is why St Paul prays that the uh, Colossian people, and by extension us, should be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. When we are following Jesus and facing temptation, he gives us strength at the point of decision to say no to it, and he is standing ready to help whenever temptation puts itself forward. Fourth night. And he finishes by uh, summarising what will happen when these things are granted. They will be living lives, giving joyful thanks to the Father. And then he goes on uh, to say why they will be giving joyful thanks to the Father. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a stark choice, the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of the son he loves. The kingdom of darkness is like being in a prison, in darkness, unable to see what's going on, unable to see the possibilities of the situation, and above all, unable to see where the door is out of which he might perhaps escape or be let out. In the dark, anything might happen, and 
It's a bad place to be, but he has rescued us, moving us to a place of light and beauty and spiritual health. And the thing to note here is that he has rescued us, not we have escaped by luckily finding the door, or by our own bravery overcoming the guards, or by some ingenious plan. He has rescued us. And so St Paul continues by worshipping Jesus. He must have known we'd be reading this on the Feast of Christ the King, wasn't he? Jesus is King of all the world because he, in union with the Father and the Spirit, made it everything. And that's why he's the head of the church, all the people that he's rescued. He's above all parents and priests and bishops and whatever else there is. He is the first to rise from the dead. He came to earth and his greatest act on earth, his triumph, was to let himself be taken and nailed to a cross as the punishment for our sins, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And now he reigns forever as Christ the King with a crown, but not a crown of thorns, but a crown such as we have never seen before.